Father, we remember the general context of Jesus who has been um, displaying miracles in front of many people. And perhaps some of us would think that if he was walking here and we saw one or two of those, yeah, then we'd really believe much more than we do. Yet there were so many who were who had witnessed this and, and just were more concerned that maybe this man was knocking them out of their position and they were hardened in their hearts. And we ask you, Lord, to help us to remember that the man who spoke these words was not just um, uh, some of, one of many prophets. He was the Son of God. He had testified to his authority with signs and wonders, and he had shown himself to be one with authority. Lord, we are aware of many of the miracles that we hear about in the scriptures, stilling storms, speaking, showing he was the Lord. And we ask that in our own hearts uh, today, you would help us to take his word seriously, even if some of it we are uncomfortable with. Lord, help us, we pray. And for any here who are not clear on whether they know you, and as they see uh, how the end of this story has a very stark uh, difference between the destination of those who are in Christ and those who are not believing in Jesus, pray that you would convict and that you would work and that you would bring your mercy and salvation to this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So I mentioned in my prayer uh, that some who had seen so much of Jesus' life had uh, not been won over, and Jesus had started to talk in parables. And although I think others may have just briefly mentioned this recently, let's just go to Uh, verses 10 to 16 of of chapter 13 because as he is now teaching in a a different way verse 10 the disciples came to him and asked why do you speak to the people in parables and he replied and some of this may, may appear quite cryptic to us but because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but not to them Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken away from them. And then he carries on, and he he quotes apart from Isaiah in verse 14, you will be ever hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart, and this is what I was saying in the prayer, has become calloused, and they hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes otherwise they might see with their eyes hear with their ears understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal heal them but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear and I'm not going to go into a full explanation of that except to to, in the same way as I was praying that, that it is the hardness of people's hearts that was reacting to Jesus and that when Jesus is around and he's doing his miracles and he's preaching um, people don't stay the same they are they are either drawn to him and I hope all of us are increasingly 
But there are some who hear his words and they think, hmm, they're moving away. And I hope this passage will, um, perhaps, perhaps when you don't think about the consequences and you think, oh, no, I'm very happy with my life, I don't need this sort of stuff. But when you are confronted with the consequences of rejecting Jesus, um, this parable is uh, very much a poke in the eye and a wake-up call to consider. So let's, um, where I want to go, I, I just want to tell the story. It's a very simple story. It doesn't mean that the meaning isn't quite hard-hitting. Um, so we'll go through this story and we'll go through, we're not left in much doubt about what it might have meant because Jesus in the second part of what we read tells us. So we can't say, oh, it might mean this, it might mean that. It's perfectly clear. And I have picked five lessons. I mean, I think at the end you, you might find that you could pick a couple more and if there is time we could probably just allow a little to see if anyone else wants to draw something else out of the passage. But let me just deal with that and we'll see where we are and what time it is. So, um, you'll also remember that not long ago we've dealt with the parable of the sower, so we have a few things going on with um, arable farming pictures. Um, And if you just want to briefly compare it with the sower, um, both have a sower and a field, sealed, a seed and a crop yield. The evil one appears in both, and you could look down to verses 19 and 39. But in the parable of the sower, what is the evil one doing? I'm sure you know it ever so well. He's snatching away the seed, the good seed. But in this one, he's there sowing tares, which is weeds, among the wheat. So he's actually sowing some bad seed. So in the parable of the sower, all the seed is good, but here there are two types of seed. And in the parable of the sower, the emphasis is on the reception given to the seed. What kind of soil are you when the word of God is given? Um, But in this one, this is on the sower's commands to the servants long before harvest, uh, when they realize there's a problem, and uh, the sower's commands to the reapers at the harvest. So there's just some broad things to Um, show you the difference so this parable let's just go back to the story and we hear about uh, of course you you do know I I hope you do that that of course compared to our culture this is a very uh, agricultural um, community so sowing seeds in field is a very common thing so we see a, a man sowing good seed that's all very normal isn't it but it says here what a What a despicable thing comes up next. It says, an enemy, while they were sleeping, after the good seed had been sown, an enemy comes amongst, in this field, where all the good seed's been sown, and he's placing all this bad seed. And you think, why would you do that? Can you think of any good reason? Um, No, this is just malicious. What's the intent? That that the weeds will grow, and, and at the very least... That the wheat crop will not be quite as good. It'll be stifled, some of the nutrients in the ground, the weeds will pinch, etc. It's just a dastardly act. Um, what can you think of compared to today? Someone 
who doesn't like you coming to your house and spraying graffiti on your front wall. It's just horrible. Um, so then we, we next see that there are some servants of the man who is sowing the seed in the field. Verse 27. And they obviously think, surely you sowed good seed here, didn't you? Why, why are, are we seeing all these weeds? I dare say a few weeds in a big field was probably normal, but this, this was a, there was a lot here. And they were thinking, what is going on? And, and the owner says, without any doubt, you know, where, where did these weeds come from? An enemy did this. It doesn't immediately name who that enemy is. But an, an enemy did this. So the servants are, are interested, well, surely we should get on and do something. Let's do our best to get them out now so that we've got a nice field of wheat and it all goes swimmingly through to the harvest but the farmer's response is and it's not instinctive to us is it let them both grow together and then we'll remove the tares the weeds at the harvest time now, I put up a picture I found, because um, I think if not, none of us are great agricultural farmer people. Maybe some of you have parents who were. But here is a picture I found that at least shows that at an early stage, there's a bit of difference. But if you were a servant in this um, farmer's field and you wanted to take this into your own hands and start pulling out where, where you thought the tares were, you know... If we were all going out here grabbing a hundred items, we probably wouldn't get them all right, would we? Whilst we're trying to pull out weeds, we'd be pulling up some tares. They're both green. They look at an early stage quite similar. Later on, though, the wheat seed turns a white or a gold colour. And I'm sure we've all seen in the fields... How it, gold, it fills out to a heavy head and the head even becomes so full that it rather bows over. Now if you were then going to go through the field and think which one's which, you've got an easier task, clearer. And also the tares stay green, they stay upright and actually their seeds turn black. And I found this also, which confirms some of what we've just said, but it also points out, if you were wondering why they had to be separated at all, that the seeds of the, uh, of the tares or the wheat are poisonous. And when animals or people eat them, make them sick, I think if you ate enough of them, it might even be fatal. So in terms of what you do at the end of the process, the farmer is in no doubt when you're trying to get a store of wheat, you've got to separate these things. Now, a little aside, this isn't the strongest part of what I'm saying, but I, I couldn't help but find some interest in the fact that wheat and Christians have something in common. And wheat doesn't have very deep roots, but it grows very tall. And all I'm trying to get is the picture of something that is rooted in this world, but it's sort of growing upwards. And eventually it gets plucked out of the ground and on its way, and I just thought this is just a slightly light-hearted thought, really. Um, it grows upwards, 
And I'm just thinking of other scriptures like this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind up there, not on earthly things. So it's just a, a slightly light-hearted thought, but it's a, it is a plant with a shallow root and it grows tall. It doesn't last long. It grows, it ripens, it bears fruit, and then it passes off the scene. We don't either in this world, do we? Great promises of, of a joy in eternity for our souls, but we have this in common. And the other thing which I think is interesting is that wheat has a head which, when mature, bows down under its weight. And uh, there's a picture of wheat bowing over. And uh, I couldn't help but think there's a hint here of some modesty. That when it's full of its glory, it's not standing up for out shouting, shouting it's, it's, um, it's just bowing down. Light-hearted thoughts, but, but some uh, ideas of how we have things in common uh, with wheat. So then we move on to how this is interpreted. Uh, go ahead to verse 36. You'll notice, of course, the parable was, uh, the story was told in a very public place. Um, but this is, he, he's back in a house with his disciples here, and they're asking, explain the meaning of this parable. Couldn't be clearer. The sower is the son of man, that's Jesus, that's in verse 37. The field is the world. The good seeds are the people of the kingdom. And the tares or the weeds are the people of the evil one. Already we're getting this very black and white contrast. And we kind of looking for the other category of people, but there isn't one. It's either good seed, wheat, or it's tares, poisonous and just to be discarded and burned at the end. The enemy that sowed the tares is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. Harvesters are angels. You can't mess with angels. They're quite strong. They're not just little dainty Um, flitting around creatures that go where you blow them. And it says, and it's strong words, verse 41, Son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And it goes on to say that they will be thrown into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It says the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So, lesson one, here are my five lessons, there may be others, but lesson one, we don't like to face this fact too often, but this world we're living in, the one we wake up in tomorrow, it's not all cosy cuddly. I mean, most of the people we'll talk to tomorrow are quite nice and reasonable, aren't they? But actually, when you look behind the scenes and in that spiritual realm that we are not privy to all the details, this is a war zone. There is the picture here. And let me just remind you what it said at the beginning of the parable. I didn't emphasize that. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed a seed. And then there's 
someone else an enemy. Right? You know, so, so the kingdom of heaven, perhaps as the world sees it, it's about wheat and weeds alongside. And the immediate reaction is not to pull out the weeds immediately, but they let them grow together. You remember what we, we heard in the story? So we don't like this very much, but, and it's all very too close to comfort. This is, a, this is a field. The kingdom of God is like this field. And there are weeds and wheat alongside. Let them grow together. So it just reminds me that the enemy who in this parable came in and did something dastardly, every day he's trying to do dastardly things to us. We don't like it. We wish we were in a much more comfortable place, but the world we live in is a war zone. He is there to harm us. He is trying to. Nothing he likes better than just spoiling the crop, making it harder for the wheat to grow. And I'm trying to think, and you, you may be able to help me even if we have a brief comment, comments at the end. I mean, we have to accept that around us there are people perhaps very much under the umbrella of what you call Christian who are not Christians. They talk the talk, but do they walk the walk? Um, there will be churches where um, the whole Bible is not taught. Maybe they emphasize one aspect but try and forget some. And they end up with a gospel that is no gospel at all. And we might begin to think, oh, I know exactly, you know, that person's not a Christian now. That's a bit where you have to be a little bit careful because we don't really know the heart. But in many ways, some of these other people, they, you, know, they, you might be thinking in our church, I think more likely you're thinking of a wider group of what is called church and you see some who are doing things that are so different and yet it's under the umbrella of what is called Christian. And it just doesn't feel right. So there's just a simple warning at this point that we live in this war zone. I'm not going to go there at the moment, but you know well enough in Ephesians 6, all that armour of God that we are encouraged to wear, but we are in a war zone. Be on your guard. The second lesson, uh, which I think stares us in the face here, is when you look at the fact that all of us are in this, in this story, either wheat or tares, I think we want to we be pretty sure when you see what happens at the end to the tares, we want to be pretty sure that we're the wheat, don't we? Are you a wheat or a tear? Because the prospect for the tares at the end of this story is bleak indeed. It is discarded and into an everlasting fire. Well, it doesn't say everlasting here in this one, but there are other passages that we can refer to on that. But I just um, pause because usually with these parables, there is a central point, and I think we're getting it. But you can't imagine in this story, um, and if you understand anything about farming, a, a weed cannot change into a piece of wheat, not in this story. But in the parallel of there being people of the, who, who are people of the devil and people of God, and we, we're desperate to try and get that grey area in the middle, but this is very black and white, it is possible for people who are not yet in Christ 
to move from being a son heavily influenced, dominated by the devil, to shift and become embracing Christ. Because it says, whoever turns from sin and trusts in Christ as the only saviour, they can change, you can change, from belonging to the evil one to being in the kingdom. So are you sure? I think it's a question we all think about when we're looking at a, a passage like this. Are you sure you belong to Christ's kingdom? Or, or in some ways do you feel you're just going through the motions? You're reading this, you're saying some prayers, but it's not real to you. If you feel it's not real to you, this is a good time to go find some friend and talk. Don't let it pass. I think someone said even about perhaps more in America of Billy Graham's crusades and perhaps they have some very large churches over there with a lot of people on their membership role and uh, I think Billy Graham near the end of his days was saying that perhaps his, his, his um, greatest results or people coming through were from, from the nominal roles of people in the churches that was where so many who, who were just nominal and not sure really where they were and they come through and he was just very glad to see that happening. So my third lesson is uh, accept that God is the final judge and to be patient. Now we're not expressly told in the story who the servants are, but they're clearly on the side of the man who is sowing the good seed. And they're very concerned. They look in this field that should be showing wheat only. And so they want to do something about it. And we touched on it, didn't we? We look, at, we look out, whether it's in parts of this church or more likely perhaps in other areas where people call themselves churches, and we're thinking impatiently maybe, I'd like to do something and, and shut this down that's causing a bad witness. And this is where there may be some comments at the end because I think we do know that sometimes maybe Daniel in his prayers when God's people were in disgrace prays wanting to see God's name honoured. There is a sort of praying that, that says that this is under the name of the church and it's dishonouring your name. Very good, isn't it, to say, come on, please, God, stamp that out. But ultimately, we're not to wade in and do the pulling it to bits uh, unless we have special opportunity because we'll probably get it wrong and we'll probably make more of a mess um, than we thought we would. We do need to be discerning about others in this world, maybe even in our church, who do not belong to Christ, probably not as we're thinking about people in, in, our, in our church, but we do need to be discerning as we are aware of each other. Um, but our primary job is to evangelize and not to judge from time to time, though, in churches, there are discipline issues, uh, always with the aim of restoring someone who is named, you know, has named the name of Christ, but perhaps they're just not living that way anymore, and there, there are things to be done. But ultimately, it is only God who sees our hearts and knows if we are his. But as we've touched on, God will one day weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. So he is in charge of that and he will do it at the proper time. 
And much as though we might be tempted to, to go in there and try and start the cleaning up process, this passage, I think, is cautioning us to be patient and to accept that in this world, alongside the wheat, the tares are growing, and that's just how it is at the moment. And we've just got to live with that. My fourth lesson, and there's only one more after this, and this is where, as you get to the end of this passage, and it says very clearly that the, um, the tares are thrown into a furnace, and when the explanation comes, um, this is the sons of the devil, the, the people of the evil one, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a grim picture, and it's a place where there's no turning back. At the moment, day to day, people who are ignoring Christ, there may be another opportunity when they might start to take things seriously. But as I just thought this is a very severe side of God's character, I just wanted to make sure that we didn't leave uh, this without touching on another aspect of his character. And I just want to pull a few verses together to concentrate on his goodness and his severity. When I was opening in prayer, I was just saying we try and pick and choose things. Um, so we have read that. Just um, if you, you'll, you'll be familiar with it, but later on in Matthew 25, we have the other well-known a parable about final judgment, about sheep and goats. And I only put this in because it adds, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. They will go to, away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's just, we don't want it to be so eternal, but that is what the Bible says. It's an eternal good for those who are in Christ, but it is an eternal punishment for those who have ignored and rejected Jesus. So we who are sinful find this very under- hard to understand. We, we wouldn't do this quite this way. We just think this is a bit um, difficult. And we have to pause and think God's nature is so holy and... Um, that it's actually, he cannot coexist with sin that is not dealt with. He is so pure and holy. Now, we can't go there in our imagination. We can't quite go there because we're so stained with sin when we're confronted with someone else, even a, someone who's done some heinous things. If we see any sign at any point, you know, way down the line, if they're turning, we want, want to say, oh, you know, there's always a, a, an opening. But, but God has said... No, you know, when you die or when Jesus comes again, that's the end of the opportunity. So the problem really is, as we consider what we, where we get our ideas from, um, many follow private religious hunches rather than learning about God from his word. Uh, many that we know just think all the religions are the same. So, yeah, your, your religious book says this, but mine says this. They wouldn't think for a moment that this is the one that says the right thing. Many have ceased to recognize that the reality of their own sinfulness. They think they know better. 
And as such, uh, they would be hostile to a God who takes sin seriously. Many think God is good, but he can't also be severe. So we need to allow the Bible to shape our total picture of what God is like. Um, I'll just quote you a bit from Isaiah 66 there. These are the ones the Lord looks on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. So I think many of us who have been walking with God for many years, this is not the only, this is not the primary thing we do that we're always trembling. And it's not like we are knee-jerking with fear on every movement. But there is a sense that on the big picture, God's word speaks with some authority from a God who was made, who God who stands outside of time, who is so almighty. And really, if we are going to even foolishly think for a moment, oh, if I were him, how can we even imagine what it would be like to be pure without any stain of sin, who inhabits eternity and think, oh, you know, I would be thinking differently. We can't really go there, but we can tremble at his word. Remember when God proclaimed his name to Moses, and I just draw a verse here that does talk at the end here about punishment, but when God proclaimed his name to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, this is just drawing attention to some other aspects of God's character, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. But I'm just saying if all we've got in this passage is the bit about the punishment, at the end, there is, a, there is a, 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 several things mentioned there about his compassion and mercy, slow to anger. And it, it would be fair to say, if you just trace through the Old Testament, his people who were told at the very beginning when the law was given to them, look, if you follow these ways, it will be good for you. But if you depart from them, there will be consequences. And there were. And there were prophets were sent to warn them. But even then, the people's hearts were very hard. And they still had to be chastised. So there are many aspects we've touched on there. Psalm 107, I'm not going to give lots of examples here, um, but it does give other examples of his goodness. And it starts off saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. And if you were to read it later, you would find that God's people are getting into various messes But at uh, four different points in the psalm, we hear exactly the same phrase comes back. One sort of mess they got into. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And then something else happened. So this is a God who loves his people. He will correct them, but when they call out to him, he will deliver them from their distress. And then I wanted to turn to Romans 11 to 12, because it's just the title of this section about goodness and severity. Uh, do turn over to Romans 11, because it says in that verse, consider then the, the kindness and sternness of God. But I just didn't want to quote that out of context. And I'll 
This is a section in Roman about engrafted branches. And it's, it's on the theme of the fact that the Jewish people had been, you know, they, they were the people who had had the story about Jesus first. But, but by and large, they hadn't taken it, right? And, and if I read from verses 17 onwards, it's saying if some of the branches have been broken off and you thought... And you, though a wild olive shoot, because he's talking to the Gentiles here, and the branch is broken off with, as it were, the Jewish people or some of them. Um, And you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in, granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And then the verse I quote, consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And then there's also this ray of hope that if they who have been cut off do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in again. This was the theme of um, of the teaching about how the Jews had largely rejected the gospel and the Gentiles were being welcomed in. And the final part of this, if it's all been a little grim in theme, there is a hope here that the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That is the uh, prospect uh, for those who are the people of God. This shining, I think, does start now, because when we repent and come to God, It says, if you're not aware of it, I'm sure most of you are, that the Spirit of God is given, and that's what helps us to testify that we're children of God. But that Spirit also is is working in us and changing us. And maybe to start with, we thought this Christian thing was, oh, I should do this, should do that, and everything in me doesn't really want to. But as you go on with God for years, I think you start to think, I want to do this. He's actually made you love it too. So think of the healthy, ripened wheat full of fruit uh, and bowing under its weight. Uh, There's there's a glory in that, isn't there? The the, the believer who's been walking with God for years and has a maturity, and yet they're not like a typical person in the world, puffed up and saying, hey, look at me. There's a, there's a glory in, in the full fruit that God can grow in people, but there is a, there is a bowing even in, in the presence of God. But there is a radiance that Moses had after he had been with God. He wasn't actually aware of it, but when he came down from the mountain, remember the people couldn't look at him? So I quote a bit from Philippians, I think the verses at the end coming up. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, 
children of God in a warped and crooked generation. That sounds like a field full of wheat and tares, doesn't it? Children of God in a warped and crooked generation. But then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Shining, yeah? So just recapping, just pulling those lessons together again briefly. We live in a messy battleground, a war zone. Wish it wasn't so, but it is. Are you a wheat or a tear? Are you in the kingdom of God or not? And if you're not clearly aware that you are in the kingdom of God, think very hard uh, about that position because there isn't a neutral ground. You're either in or, in the language of this passage, you are a child of the devil. You may be a lovely person doing lots of good things, but in the black and white thing, this is all about how you've responded to Jesus. Tears can't become wheat in the story, but you can change from being outside of Christ to knowing him. We do have a very real enemy, and the devil will certainly not want people turning to Christ. Be patient and wait for God's final action in judgment. In case you have that tendency, some of us might try and think we've got to clean up everything right now. Separating of the tares and the wheat is absolutely obvious in the farming thing that it had to be done and God will do the same at the end of time and remember if you do come across these hard passages about God's severity at the end remember to think of the whole picture of God to remember his goodness as well remember his long suffering patience that he doesn't really want anyone to perish So he reveals his nature in the Bible and we do well to um, not think we know better and to pick at bits that we think we like. But isn't it lovely to think as we look forward with all our faults um, that one day we will be shining in his kingdom. kingdom In the kingdom of the Father we will shine. And it starts now but it gets better, doesn't it? But then we go back to the very last thing that was read to us. He who has an ear, let him hear. And and if we touched on what Jesus is doing with the parables, um, I hope all of us here tonight are being drawn towards God and wanting to be sure of all this. But I fear, and I hope there aren't any, that that, that some will be thinking, ah, is a bit stark. I think I know better. You know, that's the, God can't be like that. Be so careful. Do you really know um, better than God what will happen one day, what will happen beyond death in that world that we know so little about? Be very careful. He who has an ear, uh, let him hear. So I'm done there. And there is a song.